0: This is The Big Story Plus. Enjoy your ad-free podcast. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. I remember October 17th, 2018, the day I lit my first legal joint. And all of a sudden, everything was not different at all. And that's the key thing to remember five years after recreational cannabis hit the retail market in Canada. There was a lot of speculation around what would change when the black and grey markets faced government-sanctioned alternatives. A lot of that speculation was financial. A lot of money was riding on this. From investors, from producers, from retailers. All of them banking, literally, on more Canadians getting high for the first time. Or Canadians who were already getting high, switching to legal and more expensive products. Five years later, as you may be aware, much of that speculation has proved fruitless and costly. But definitely not all of it. And some of the producers and retailers who have made investments that haven't quite paid off are looking for new ways to innovate. The Canadians who get high are... Still getting high? Well, the ones who never did still aren't. And the government that wrote the initial legislation is currently reviewing it. Trying to figure out where legal pot goes from here. Is this an industry that still has a chance of exploding with the right changes? Five years later, much of what investors thought they knew about legal pot has gone up in smoke. But what if that was just act one? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Tara Deschamps is a Canadian press business reporter who has been covering the cannabis industry. Hello, Tara. Hi
1: there. Thanks for having me.
0: You are most welcome. Do you remember the buzz leading up to legalization back in 2018?
1: So I wasn't on the beat then, but I do remember just being a general business reporter at the time, how crazy things were. I think everyone sort of expected that this was going to be the next big booming industry. The companies who were in the industry felt like getting into this business was going to be a way for them to, I guess, essentially like print money. They thought, you know, money would be rolling in like crazy because everyone was going to want to smoke pot or consume pot in some kind of way.
0: Do we have any idea how much money was invested in the industry back then or even just kind of any figures that can uh, give us a sense of the scope of it? Because yeah, I remember no shortage of not just companies lining up to produce pot, but investors who wanted to invest in those companies.
1: So I did try to look at some of the numbers in advance and they're just all over the place. Everyone had very different projections. Ah. Um, One thing I did find though was, Statistics Canada, I guess, around the time of legalization, was saying that um, the cannabis sector's contribution to GDP at the time was about six point four billion. Okay, it's since increased. Now it's about like ten point eight billion, but it has been on the decline.
0: If you look back to those initial days of excitement, and as you put it, a, a company is feeling like this would be a license to print money. How has that panned out, largely?
1: I think things have gone quite differently than they imagined. We've proved that cannabis is a viable sector. People can make money off this. There is demand for the product. Is it as crazy as a lot of these companies thought? Is the demand what it, what they thought? Definitely not. But they are seeing opportunity. I think the main reason why it's so far off what they imagined is, is because we've seen so much regulation. We've seen, you know, the illicit industry still be quite strong. So it's been difficult for companies to get to sort of where they dreamed.
0: That was one of the things that I just mentioned in the intro is that there was a lot of assumptions that people who bought on the black market or the gray market would uh, be happy to buy legal pot uh, when it was made available easily. Has that happened? Do we know how much has shifted?
1: So around legalization, there was about 70% of the market that were still buying uh, illicit cannabis. And And now it's gone the other direction. They think about 30% of sales are still happening in the illicit market. And I say this, although with the giant caveat of, I don't know how many people are going to be honest about where they're purchasing their cannabis, especially when the government is asking them, where did you get this? So (laughs) so these numbers, of course, might be off, but it's the latest that we're working with.
0: Did less Canadians then people thought begin to smoke pot? Did people who smoke pot not increase their consumption? Like I guess where's the missing money is what I'm trying to figure out.
1: Yeah, I think both of those are definitely areas that didn't pan out in the way that people imagined they would. I think there was this kind of understanding that that everyone would all of a sudden gravitate to smoking pot. And obviously some people were never turned on to it. And some people also, it was hard for them to sort of get into that habit because, of course, soon after legalization and soon after um, the edibles component of legalization, the pandemic happened. Right. So it, it became much harder to lure in customers. And there were a lot of people who maybe we thought would switch over from the illicit market. And they were saying things like, you know, I can get any product that I want and it's delivered to my door and it's done quickly. And in the illicit market. So why switch? Because in in the legal market, you know, there were so many more restrictions about how much cannabis they can sell you at a time and what is the package going to look like and what sort of flavors and things they can do with it. And so I think some people, you know, just didn't find the product appealing. And does advertising
0: play into this too? Because when it began, I remember uh, we talked about it on this show and there were all sorts of questions uh, of if that would open up and you would see, you know, pot brands advertised uh, next to beer brands or whiskey brands that are available uh, at the liquor store. That hasn't happened. Do we know about the impact there or if it still might?
1: Yeah, advertising is so restricted. I hear all the time from the industry that they wish it would be more like how we treat alcohol or how we treat gambling. Right. Like you can't use packaging that's enticing in any way to young people. You can't use a cartoon. I've even heard from companies you can't say things like this product is organic or it's sun grown on the package. Hmm. Um, There are so many things they want to be able to say and they can't. And, you know, they always use this comparison of, you can walk into your LCBO or your liquor store and buy enough alcohol to drink yourself to death or, or go online and gamble and gamble away all of your life savings in sort of an instant. And that advertising is so much more pervasive. Mm-hmm. But in cannabis, it's just we have restricted it way, way more.
0: In terms of the restrictions on buying and what you can buy and how much, um, How has that shifted since 2018? You mentioned just before the pandemic, edibles became uh, available. And and I believe there's been some other like
1: very gradual loosening. Yeah. So at one point, I I believe it was over the last year, um, they changed sort of the calculation of how much cannabis you can buy at a time.
0: Now that as a country, we've collectively upped our tolerance, I guess.
1: Well, it wasn't so much that. It's, It's a bit of an arcane like way that they were calculating things like to, to figure out what the equivalency between like dried cannabis and something that was like a liquid or an edible. Hmm. So they eased up on things. But I, I think regardless of the change, there was a lot of people shopping in the market before who would walk into a store, pick up a bunch of stuff and then find out, hey, you're, you're over the limit of what you're allowed to walk out of here with.
0: In terms of what's happened to uh, the producers, the retailers, the investors uh, since legalization happened, How many of them have uh, closed up shop or left the industry or taken their money out? Because uh, we covered a couple of years ago, the absolute proliferation after uh, regulations were eased on uh, opening up pot stores in many places in the country, and they just were everywhere. And I don't know this is anecdotal. I don't know if you've seen the same thing, but it feels like, you know, in a neighborhood where there would have been three, now there's two or maybe one kind of like survival of the fittest.
1: Yeah, I've noticed exactly what you have. I think at one point there was just this idea that as long as we opened, people will come. And, and now, you know, I'm walking down the street in Toronto and I'm noticing for sale signs or closed signs on a lot of the stores because I think they realized if you're going to be selling a lot of the same product as someone who is a block or two away, it's going to be a lot harder for you to make money. You know, just in the last year alone, I think 14 of the 35 companies that applied for creditor protection in Canada were, were pot companies. Wow. And I, they told me since April, 166 license holders, licenses to sell cannabis have exited the market since January. That's about 15% of licenses issued to date. So... There are a lot of people who have realized, okay, this is not going to be the industry we thought it is. Maybe it's better to get out of the business. There's been a lot of sort of sales and mergers and and people looking around just thinking, you know, is it worth it to stick this out?
0: What about the major producers? Um, How many of them are left? And you did some interesting work kind of reporting on on what they're doing to stay viable while I guess they hope the market keeps growing? What's the story there?
1: So a lot of the big guys are still around for sure, but um, many of them have merged with one another or they've taken a look at what they were doing and they're thinking, okay, maybe it's not worth it for us to be producing cannabis and running stores and you know, taking on sort of Um, a white label business where they would produce someone else's product or package it for them. Um, And they're thinking, which of these things can we do best? And so they're streamlining and paring down what it is that they're offering. But we're still seeing such a steady, steady stream of companies that are merging with one another that are selling and many more that are just trying to figure out what do we do about our stock price? So I can tell you around legalization, Aurora Cannabis, one of the big giants, was trading for $195 and Canopy for $68. And now they're both well below a dollar.
0: And what else are they doing, um, or at least some companies doing, with their physical space? Because growing pot takes up a, a huge amount of infrastructure, and I guess some of that's not being used for pot anymore.
1: Yeah, so a lot of companies in particular... They're thinking, what else can we do with these giant greenhouses that, you know, are able to control temperatures very specifically that can grow things in very specific climates. And a lot of them have turned toward vegetable growing, flower growing. So Aurora has uh, a stake in this company called Bebo. And that Does tomato seedlings. They do flowers and they've just gone into the orchids business. Hmm. They liked orchids in particular because a lot of Canada's orchids were shipped in from South Asia and, you know, they figured we can do this and we can cut down on some of that uh, travel time for the products. We can make use of facilities that, you know, frankly, they were going to sell. They had some of them that were You know, they were preparing to sell. They announced we're closing. And when they made this deal, they thought, okay, this is perfect for orchid growing. So what, if
0: anything, could still help this industry boom a little bit? Uh, We've talked about very slight updates to regulations. What's next?
1: I think one of the big ones the industry really wants to see is uh, the excise tax. I think, like everyone, they want to be paying fewer taxes. But sort of the overview of how the excise tax works is that it's a dollar per gram for dried cannabis or 10% of the overall price, whichever of those two is higher. And that gets paid to the federal and provincial governments. And so some people look at it and say, oh, a dollar per gram, like, you know, that's not much, but you have to think about it in the context of, when cannabis was legalized, people were paying eleven or twelve dollars per gram. Mm-hmm. And now they're paying like three fifty per gram because in the fight to compete with the illicit market, you know, all of the legal sellers were dropping their prices dramatically because people were telling them the way to get people to shift is to sell pot for for much less money. Right. So when you're paying these higher taxes, it's eating into your profit. And I think the last thing I saw from the government was they're like still have 200 million in outstanding duties from that tax, which gives you a sense of how hard it is for companies to to pay it.
0: When we last talked about pot uh, on this show in June, we were talking about the Cannabis Act review that the government was undertaking uh, at that time. It was already kind of delayed at that point. What's the status of that now? And, and what could that change?
1: Yeah, so the review was supposed to come three years after legalization. They started it uh, last September, which was probably when you were talking about it. And the latest is that the review is still ongoing. I think they have to table sort of a report with their findings by uh, March. But they recently did put out a document. It's called a What We've Learned kind of report. And they detail a lot of what we've talked about today. So a lot of the economic struggles that the industry faced, but also some of the health concerns and things that have come up. So they said things like, you know, emergency room and hospitalizations linked to cannabis have been up 14 percent between 2019 and 2021. Hmm. And, and they've talked a lot about, you know, how do we move forward in a way where the industry can continue to profit? But, you know, we don't see hospitalizations rise any further.
0: When you talk to experts in this space, either producers or people who just watch the industry, uh, what do they think the the industry as a whole uh, in Canada will look like in another five years? You know, is there still room to grow? Uh, I was saying to our producer, I think by now, you know, it's been five years. Everyone who was waiting for pot to be legal in order to try it or get into it has probably done that, and everybody who's not has probably decided it's not for them. Like, I guess I'm trying to see where the growth uh, might come from.
1: Yeah, I think people. Are, are sort of mixed. They sort of look at what's happening in cannabis as if it's like any other industry. You know, Every industry has its growing pains when it's starting out and eventually it finds what the right size is and what the market can kind of hold and maintain. And so I think a lot of people think that cannabis is still in that stage. And I think most people are pretty united in the idea that we're probably going to see more cuts in the future, But they also believe that there's still a business here. It just, companies might not be pure play cannabis companies like Mm -hmm. I talked about before with Aurora and the greenhouses. There are other businesses like Tilray, for example. They're really heavily into beer. And so you might see different industries propping up um, one company's cannabis business. And, you know, you might just see like an industry that, It might not have all of these giant players that we thought it was going to have, but I think it'll still survive. It'll still last. There's probably room for growth for these companies, but maybe not at the amount that they once imagined. And um, I think a lot of people will look for their growth from outside markets because there's been a lot of talk about the U.S. potentially doing a a federal legalization there, which Mm. cannabis companies in Canada have really been planning for for a long time and if that happens I think it would would really help the Canadian companies that are struggling
0: Tara thank you so much for this uh, fascinating look into an evolving industry and uh, maybe we'll talk again in five years
1: yeah we'll see you again in five years then
0: Tara Deschamps business reporter with the Canadian Press that was the big story for more you can head to the big if you scroll down to the bottom to the search bar You can type in pot week and you will get five episodes from the week of October 2018, speculating, just like people who lost money did, on what these changes would mean for the weed business, for the country, for the people who smoke it. I remember it was a fascinating week. I am sure that we were wrong about a whole lot of stuff. If you want to talk to us, we'd love to hear from you, obviously. You can find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can email us. The address is hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. And as always, you can call us 416-935-5935 and leave us a voicemail. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.